Welcome to another episode of Auto Catch Up. This week we've got plenty of news. The uh, Azuzu D Max and its great look is uh, has been revealed. Toyota introduced the Rogue and the Rugged X um, to Australia and show us what it's going to look like. And probably most notably, the M3 Touring uh, has been asked for for a long time. We're lovers of wagons here, and it's been finally confirmed that there is going to be a version of the new model in the touring variant coming to Australia. Stick around for that and uh, more news uh, coming up. And uh, to join us this week, we've got uh, Joel Strickland at Joel Strick Photo. Uh, unfortunately, Mick is uh, stuck with uh, some security updates. So if, um, if he's able to join us, uh, we'll add him in once he gets here. But if not, don't fret. Uh, we've got, I think we've got plenty to talk about. Don't you think, Joel? Yeah, there's lots happening, Ash. Yeah, so uh, have you been this week? It's another week of lockdown for you? Yeah, yeah not a lot happening down here in Victoria at the moment. Uh, just uh, staying safe and enjoying our um, much-needed one one hour of outside time a day when we can uh, get it. The weather hasn't been the best over the last week, so it's been quite good to, to be inside and just uh, working away in the office on a couple of different um, ideas and things that I've been trying to catch up on with for a while. So, um, yeah, the weather has uh, been good, but it's been... Um, this weekend's been a big sport weekend um, for, for me catching up some stuff mm. on, the, on the telly so um, uh, obviously motorsport but obviously a little bit of um, American basketball and ice hockey because it's finals um, all leading into the finals for both those sports at the moment so I spent some quality time watching that and I also got up early this morning to watch qualifying for, for, for the upcoming Indy 500 as well as supercars and obviously F1 which we'll all talk about when we get to, to motorsport but um, what have you been driving, Ash? Oh, look, uh, so yeah, <laughs> with, uh, without needing to, you know, we haven't been having to stick to a timer of an hour of outside. Um, so I've been able to enjoy uh, this week the Subaru Forester Hybrid in the L variant. So it's kind of like the, the, it's not really entry level, but it's the base hybrid model, mm-hmm. um, which I think you drove a little while yeah, ago. Yeah, I drove the, uh, uh, I drove the S. So the, ah, okay. uh, the, the so next the higher version. The, the, high, the higher spec version yeah. from what you had. But um, what do you think? Yeah, look, it, it's... I think I, I, I grew to like it more as I drove it more and, yep. started, and, and started to understand sort of what it's all about and going in with the mind that the hybrid necessarily isn't trying to be like any of the other hybrids that are currently on the market. I think it's more of a... It's a system that kind of just helps you get a little bit more range out of the out of the fuel tank and and to supplement with a little bit of extra torque rather than be, rather than being a you know like a, a true eco-friendly kind of oriented type car um, because it's still you know it's it, it has all of the traditional traits and qualities that any other Subaru vehicle has in in, in terms of, you know, the the all-wheel drive um, or, you know, the symmetrical all-wheel drive, the boxer engine, um, and sort of retaining that capability of, you know, being able to go pretty much most places it's not uh, anywhere type of vehicle like a you know you might say like a 70 series land cruiser or, or any other type of four-wheel drive but in terms of as a as a mild suv in a way um it is you know it, it's got all of those qualities that i think people who buy a subaru um 
you know, why they buy it. It's this definitely has all of those things. Um, but what surprised me is that it's that I, when going into it, I didn't, I wasn't really aware of all of the tech that it has built into it. <laughs> and a lot of tech that even Teslas don't have yet, um, which kind of really surprised me because I didn't expect it from Subaru. Um, I know that Subaru are very much about the drive, but not, you know, and, and they've had the, the the camera technology in in the windscreen, you know, keeping an eye on the road and, and lane departure and that kind of thing. I know that they've been, you know, pretty much on the forefront of that, including it in most models um, compared to other brands. But the extent of which not only look the technology that looks outside the car, but also the technology that looks inside the car and, and looks at you as a driver and ensuring that not only is the car in a safe place, but how you're driving it obviously is safe. So from the very point that you, you hop into the car, it's got a, a, a band of sensors in the middle of the dash um, above kind of like your your second inf- information screen in the center console. So in the center console, you've got like your entertainment screen, which you can do your Apple CarPlay and Android Auto. Um, but then you've got that second display above it sitting back a little bit further that gives you all of that core information that you might want to have available all the time. So it gives you your, um, your, your vehicle angle. It gives you... Where where the power is going you can um you know it, it gives you all the information on all of the the safety features that's you know that's active and and even shows you when your brake lights are on and when your headlights are on and all that kind of thing um but the sensors that sit above it and you can kind of just catch a glimpse of it but you can see an infrared um diode sort of sitting there and what that is actually it, it's actually scanning your face so you can set up the car that when you hop in to the driver's seat, it scans you and goes, oh, hello, Ash, um, welcome back. And it kind of applies your 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 key little settings and things like that. Um, but once you're on the road, so that's the first cool thing. So rather than what other brands do is kind of like when you have multiple keys when you buy your car and you can personalize the features to key one and key two and all that kind of thing but as far as I'm aware and, and what I definitely know is that most people kind of have that one key that you know the main key and then the second key they shove it in a drawer somewhere and, and you know keep it safe as like the, the spare key um, and then everybody just shares that one key and when you have key-specific personalization, that's not really that helpful. But what Subaru does is that the key is independent. You can, you know, it, it, and features aren't tied to a key, but they're tied to your to your face, essentially, when you hop into the car. So um, you can set up, I think it's like three or four people um, as drivers in in the system and it will scan your face and apply those key little features um, that you kind of set your vehicle up as. And then as you're driving, that same system that is able to identify you also watches your eyes um, and, your, and your face in general. And in terms of, is it, and it can actually see if you're paying attention to the road or not. So even if you stare out to the the right-hand side of the car, you know, you're looking out the side window for, and, and I think it's probably about three or four seconds, and then it'll go, it'll give you a alert, it'll make an audible noise, and you'll say, hey, keep your eyes on the road. Yeah, it's and, not, it doesn't take long for it to, to come up and tell you that. 
No. So you can't really, it doesn't give you enough time to sort of look off and daydream and, and that kind of thing. But what also happens is that even um, if you look down to the infotainment system a little bit too long, like, you know, um, because we know that even though Apple CarPlay and Android Auto and even the infotainment systems are all designed to be relatively straightforward to use, if you're looking at a map or something like that, you can kind of get still a little bit more distracted in trying to use it. Um, and it will actually, even though your face might be still looking in the same general direction, it can tell when you're looking at the road versus looking at something, you know, in the center console or looking at the steering wheel a little bit too long or even looking at the, the, um, the console that sits on the roof for the lights and things like that. And so in, in playing around with it in a car park, I tried to, to see what would, what would it do if I was holding a, a mobile phone. And it actually changes the alert from being, hey, keep your eyes on the road, to actually changing, take, it pauses the music that you're listening to or mutes it and takes over the, the, that top information screen and your entertainment, like or your, your console um, or your instrument cluster, sorry, and goes into a big red thing saying, hey, um, stay alert and basically go, hey, <laughs> don't use your mobile phone. You're completely distracted. Um, so it's not even just a polite reminder, hey, can you please keep your eyes on the road? But it actually does a proactive step in recognizing that you are not paying attention at all. Um, and that is a feature that I haven't seen ever before in any other car. Um, and I'm not aware that that kind of thing really exists. I know that other car makers have things for keeping um, attention on whether you're dozing off a little bit. Like you, you might be, um, you know, you might not be paying as much attention before, but I've never seen a, a set of features so proactive and so active um, in recognizing your driving behavior, you know, past just are you swerving a little bit and is your, you know, are you inconsistent with your speed and all of those types of things. So I was completely blown away um, by that. I really grew to like it. And every person that I showed that feature to, um, <laughs> everyone goes, oh, my mom would love that feature for my dad. You know, that kind of thing, you know, where, you know, Guys, we probably get, tend to get a bit distracted of, you know, things that are around as we drive past. Oh, look, that that looks interesting, yada, yada, yada. And, um, you know, and everybody goes, oh, that is, that is a great feature. And I grew to really like it. At the beginning, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, that's a bit interesting. But once I sort of got used to it and, and saw the value that it added, I really liked it. Um, and... By far, it's the tech is still. It's not as um, the way the cabin is laid out probably isn't as refined as um, like even say Hyundai has has got their cabins too or anything like that. But it's certainly for for the niche that Subaru have carved out, particularly outside of the WRX, um, that the niche that they've carved out for their other vehicles. I think the way the layout of the the, the cabin is is very practical um and even say the inclusion of heated seats with cloth seats is not very often and like isn't no, very common anymore not common at all 
no. So even those things where you go, that's perfect if you do live in a colder climate and you don't and you don't really even want the premium spec. You might want the, you know, that that entry level spec, say for the hybrid, um, even though that you know that isn't the entry entry level model. But in terms of for just looking at the hybrid models, um, you know, that is kind of like a nice thing to have. Um, and I know that some people do prefer cloth seats over leather seats, and being able to have the the seat warmers on a cloth seat is kind of like a nice thing. Um, but huge boot, great space in the, in the in the second row, plenty of headroom. It is a tall car. Um, so it is, I kind of joke that it, it's kind of like, you know, it's perfect for royalty if they ever wanted to use one because <laughs> the windows are so big that, you know, that you, you, can, you can see out very, you know, there's no nothing... Um, obstructing that view or in or out. Um, it's got, got great vision all the way around. Lots of yeah. glass. And I really liked the the front facing camera um, and the and the gutter and like I kind of call it like the gutter camera that looks over yeah. the the left hand front wheel, They're so you fantastic. can see so you can see exactly um, where you're lining those wheels up, particularly if you are you know going off road or you're going over dirt tracks and and that kind of thing. Where even if you're just you, parking and you want to see it from, oh, like, you know, from yeah. a gutter, exactly. You know, those wheels aren't cheap generally, so you don't want to be you know scraping them down a gutter. So that that's just perfect for that yeah and and the best thing about the direct front on camera is that it's very wide in its view and you can and obviously it's not recommended that you drive looking through that when you're at speed but the key thing unlike any other car that i've driven with which has a front facing camera is that you can actually um you can actually look or, or at least keep that camera on whilst you're driving. So if you are on uh, an uneven road or anything like that, you can use that as like a secondary um, object. So if you're doing counter a, a ledge or rocks or anything, you can actually get a better view of that obstacle before you hop out of the vehicle and you know potentially end up in mud or dirt or you know or, or whatever. It basically gives you as much information as you can before needing to exit the vehicle. Um, so I think yeah, it, it's it's still not hugely amazing on on fuel economy so at the moment we've done about 600 k's and it kind of sits around like that 7.8 to 8 liters per 100 you know on a fairly mixed set of driving um so it isn't you know it's not going to be anything like a a prius or even the ionic when it comes to to fuel economy but i don't think they're really going for that and i don't no, think it's not designed for that i think it's designed more to to use for your normal driving but to to really help with your to reduce your fuel economy um because you know you when you're using crawling in traffic or you you know like i said when i had it i could park in the driveway move everything around purely in hybrid you know that mm, that's mm. the beauty of it is it's designed yeah. to to reduce those you know you get a a couple extra liters um, per hundred out of it um, yeah. because of using that system without it, yeah. you know, being too, being feeling too much like a traditional hybrid. Mm. And I think it's important to remember that unlike even even like the Rav Four hybrid, where that is purely a vehicle destined for the road, um, even though yeah, <laughs> the the promo images might show otherwise i I guarantee you that that 99 of people won't be taking that off-road but on the flip side the subaru as soon as you go anywhere regional or even like what what we're talking about 
a few weeks ago when you had the vehicle um, was that Victoria, you know, Torquay down that way. Um, as soon as you go out um, past Bird Desert here in Queensland, Subarus are everywhere. Um, and, and it's because they are, you know, they serve as a, as a great family vehicle, but they also serve off sealed roads very well as well. And I think it's, it's great to have a hybrid vehicle that sort of can, can do those sorts of activities. Um, that's not saying that there is definitely room in the technology to improve, I think. But the thing is, is that Subaru are a brand that, you know, kind of like a few, you know, a, a small growing list of vehicle brands that like like to develop their own tech rather than licensing it from somewhere else. Um, they're developing this, and obviously they've they've still got some catching up to do, of course. But um, I think it's it's not a bad start, and I'm looking forward. I'm driving the XV hybrid uh-huh. in a couple of weeks. I'm looking forward to to seeing that as well, as because I think that is a that's bridging the gap a little bit more to a. I see a lot more of the road on those of those on the road um, being driven as a as a road car primarily, and so I'll, I'll be keen to see sort of how that as a hybrid really plays. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's a good step. Um, I think I, I really enjoyed it. It's a very comfortable car. The engine, you know, it's a it's it's got enough power for you to sort of get around. It's not going to blow your socks off. It is 110 kilowatts of um, power in a car like that, um, but you know, it's it is what it is, and I think it's you know Subaru had built it, um, been very aware of who their customer is for that vehicle. Yeah, exactly, and, and that's that's the thing. I mean, you, see what you think when you get into the XV, something a little bit different, uh, mm. being that smaller package, it's lighter than the Forester. So I think you'll find that your economy, your fuel economy, will be even better again in the XV because it is it is smaller and lighter. Did your model have the X Drive as well? Yes. Yeah. So that's what they've designed for more for those that want to do more of the off-roading uh, to give you that little bit extra um, mm. ability. Yeah, so you do that. have the off-road, like through that X-Drive system, you do have, you know, and this is kind of like the, 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 the true... Um, evidence of the differentiation between this and other hybrids is that it doesn't have like a strict eco mode but you do have like a normal driving mode and then essentially like your off-roading mode Um, and so in this model anyway there isn't a sport mode or anything like that either so I think it really shows the the focus and and intention of the Forester um, compared compared to others yeah but look, let's um, let's have a look. So one which we're kind of really interested in seeing is um, the Isuzu D Max. So they've revealed the designs, and um, I can't remember if we spoke about it a little while ago about the the safety that's in this thing as well. Um, but I keep seeing the, the 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 photos of this thing now, and I just can't help but really really love it. Yeah, it's a nice design. It's definitely had a um, the facelift, but not only just sort of sort of front on. It's all around. You know, the rear end's got a really nice finish to it as well, and um, the interior's had an upgrade as well. So mm. um, yeah, it's 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 come a long way from I think the previous one from the talk just during the week of watching what people are saying online and talking about it and stuff. There's been a lot of talk um, about uh, everyone's waiting to see what the MUX will be like 
Um, you know, everyone's keen. You know, obviously the the DMAX has come out. There's obviously a, a choice of them in terms of um, there's different specs, and there's obviously now the new um, X terrain, which is the top of the range, which is designed to take on uh, the higher end specs and the the Hilux and and so forth, including mm. including the. Um, uh, you know the Ntrek and stuff in in the Nissan as well. So yeah, there's been a there's a lot said. There's a lot happening. Um, there was another rumor that I read uh, that they're talking about coming out with a Raptor um, comparator as well, uh, mm-hmm. which makes things sound very interesting. So yeah, it's. Um, but yeah, the- well, I think all things point towards that. Um, you know, it, it's it's definitely not something that I think Azuzu could um, ignore, particularly with how the... Since they last introduced the D-Max, you know, that that last vehicle was quite old um, by the time it sort of reached end of life. And and it was still a good utility vehicle, but that market has really kind of changed a lot since that time. Um, You know, and even the the Colorado did have a few updates to, to address that as much as they could with keeping, you know, without going to a, to a new model. Um, but, you know, since the, the D-Max came in that second generation, you did have the N-Track and the N-Track Warrior from Nissan, the Rugged X from from Toyota, and obviously the the Ford Ranger Raptor and, and those sorts of things. And, and they not only pushed the price point up, but they sort of pushed the level of features and shifted the the orientation on what those utility vehicles were about by making them a little bit more sporty and a little bit more, you know, that that visual appeal of being tough. Um, and so I think just like every other brand, Azuzu, uh, I guess that they want to have that, um, that halo car for it to, to attract everybody else to whether if they're not buying that one they're buying you know the cheaper more you know straightforward models um but yeah i i think it it makes sense that they're going down this route i think it's definitely got the the capabilities um underneath we'll we'll obviously have to wait and see once we get to once we get a chance to drive it but um but yeah, I, th- I think it just makes sense, and and the th- and the key difference as well is even if they are meeting um, those visual, you know, meeting that visual appeal and everything like that, the key differentiator for Azuzu is going to be the level of safety tech that's in that car. Um, that is, I think, if, if and we'll and we'll learn if people really care about it, um, about those safety features once it hits the market, because if they do, I think the the D-Max is going to sell like hotcakes. But I'm seeing discussion online from various groups that people are, a few people are coming up to renewing their their fleets and, um, you know, they're they're coming from even Amarox or or Hiluxes and now even based on just the rough information that was out there, they're waiting for the, you know, for the D-Max to arrive. And... um, and it's funny once you see that it's interesting to see the the the, the comments coming in and, and people reinforcing going yeah well and and hitting basically what we've been talking about of you know what Azuzu does in terms of their commercial vehicles and what that translates into for reliability and um, you know, sort of I guess uh, uptime versus other brands so. Yeah, I think it's I think it's great. I think the photos look great. It looks tough, um, and and looks modern. 
Um, you know, it's it's they've got all of the key styling bits and pieces um, in there. So yeah, I, I, and I expect it to, to perform just as well um, as the as the previous model did. Or, you know, and obviously hopefully exceed that. Yeah, exactly. And I think the, they're saying, you know, could this be Australia's safest ute, you know, with the amount of tech that they've put into this thing and, um, you know, the, the, the safety suite of, of features that it's got. Uh, I think, you know, it, it's it's certainly going to be interesting, you know, it's, with the stability control, traction control, uh, anti-lock, uh, autonomous AEB, um, mm. you know, which is which is really really important these days to have, you know, is a, is a minimum I think almost for we you know used to be traction control used to be the minimum for a lot of cars I think sort of AEB needs to be the mm. the new minimum now, um, you know, with they're also talking about that it's got turn assist which automatically brakes the vehicle when turning left or right if it detects a you know collision, um, you know this is great stuff you know, um, miss acceleration mitigation to prevent moving off and hitting a vehicle in front lane mm. keep assist like it's really really cool tech that mm. this thing's got and you look at the interior of this thing now as well and I think it's had a um, it's had a real cosmetic um, uplift as well so um, yeah. you know you're going to have 7 and 9 inch multimedia screens mm. um, Apple CarPlay and, and Android Auto on, on them all as well um, and, and the key thing as well just, just before you talk about the other stuff is um, the and, and a lot of people don't realize that not all accessories, particularly aftermarket ones, are compatible with even a lot of other safety features. Even um, I haven't kept on it, kept up on it, but even previously, a number of years ago, adding a bull bar to a, to a U would drop the the star rating down, and would actually cause issues for a lot of brands and a lot of government buyers because that meant that it actually stopped it from being eligible for purchase um, but one thing which Azuzu have done have actually so all of those safety features um, that you just mentioned are all compatible with the factory bull bars and nudge bars and everything like that so if you opt to go for one of those you're not sacrificing any features because you're covering up sensors or having to disconnect them to to fit you know a, a full wraparound bull bar or anything like that so that's a I think that really shows a level of consideration that they've put into that, particularly people out in the country, um, you know, or people going off, you know, who enjoy going off road, who, you know, drive it during the week for work or for family duties and then like to take it off road on the weekends. Um, you don't have to sacrifice any of those safety features that you're buying and what you've been sold on at the, you know, at the start um, once you start to, you know, modify and play with the vehicle. Yeah, exactly. And that's the beauty of, of this system. And the other thing is that we notice with these is that like the Subarus and stuff, the, um, the camera system is, is built into above the mirror. Uh, it's mm. not built into the front of that car. So they've obviously thought about it for this sort of stuff, um, you know, that it's got you read the list of safety features that it's got yeah. and it's it's huge it's massive you know um you know esc etc anti-lock brakes emergency brake assist hill start assist 
Hill descent, um, AEB, turn assist with AEB, post-collision braking, forward collision warning, uh, misacceleration mitigation only in the auto, adaptive cruise control auto only, uh, traffic sign recognition, which is, again, another must these days. Uh, yeah, it's something that they've actually, apparently, so they say that they've um, honed it for Australian signage as well. So, yeah, cool. Um, and it will also... Um, give you the option kind of like what the BMWs do um, where if it detects a speed limit change it will then prompt you do you want to change the maximum limit for the cruise control to match that new speed limit which I think is quite clever yeah, it is. Um, and then obviously we've got intelligent speed limiter, which is great for some of these cars that don't do sort of AEB under a certain speed, like, you know, under mm-hmm. 40 and or under 60 or 50, so you, for 40 zones. Um, emergency lane to keep, uh, lane departure, uh, tra- trailer sway control, which is cool because obviously a lot of these are used for towing. Um, blind spot monitoring, uh, rear cross traffic alert, reverse camera, rear parking sensors, front parking sensors, Eight airbags, including a center airbag, um, ISO fix points, by LED headlights, um, and then LED DRLs. So it's it's an impressive list, and um, yeah, they go on sale first of September. So you know, mm. for, like you said, those that are looking at getting out of getting out of uh, you know current leases and stuff like that, um, you know, it's perfect. It's perfect timing for this sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and then across the way, obviously, it's it's convenient timing, um, but uh, Toyota have um, have shot back um, by revealing, yeah, their um, along with the updated SR5, the the Rugged X and the Rogue um, models, which is you know, so like their their flagship models and the ones that we discussed a little little while ago, the ones that you know they wanted to to have modified here locally. Um, but yeah, so they've uh, th- these vehicles are really you know you're not getting any super capability over the other models. It's just kind of the 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 accessories that are built in um, you know as stock standard. So you are getting a little bit wider guards and um, you know you're getting better bash plates and, and an integrated LED bar across the front. So all those things that you might go well. out. Yeah, so you might go out and and pay for those anyway if you buy, like, say, an SR5. Um, But I guess the advantage is that this is all factory. This is built in, so you do get the advantage of it being part of that factory warranty, so you can't sort of be on the hook if something um, doesn't quite go right. They do get expensive, though. So you're talking um, the Rugged X to be over $65,000. And, uh, yeah, so it's kind of a... Once you add, you drive, you know, your delivery costs and um, local taxes and that kind of thing, they they start to get pretty expensive. Yeah. It adds up pretty quickly when you add yeah. this sort of stuff to it. But, you know, the, the stuff that they're doing, I mean, I remember the, the previous Gen Rogue, just the, the layout, just a simple thing like the line boot um, with the building light and stuff in the Rogue and mm. just that mm. different front end. It was such a nice difference from um, from just the standard SR5 Hilux. So uh, yeah. seeing that what they're doing now, I mean, the new SR5 is really, really nice. And it, it, the, that, yeah. new, that new company design... Um, 
looks good, but the Rogue is again another level up. Again, it's got that really nice in front end grill like the previous gen. You know the the wheel arches, and then obviously that rear tonneau cover and and yeah. sort of the rear sort of roll bar area. Um, and I'm digging the the alloys on it as well. They look um, yeah. they look really good. So I like the I like how Toyota have um, borrowed some of that styling from the Tacoma, which is uh, essentially the the US version it's slightly different in terms of dimensions um but like that that front end has been you know there's there's a lot of inspiration from the the tacoma from the us and i'm, I'm a big fan of it. yeah we I can like see it. that family influence like our current camry as well there's yeah. a bit of influence from the american version there yeah. so yeah that it's nice to see that we're getting that um design language sort of trickle down into to our model and we'll see it again once the new kluger lands in the not too distant future mm. That's right. Well, look, this is one that uh, it's it's a pity, Mick. Uh, I think you said he's not going to be able to make it in um, on this episode because of the <laughs> he hasn't been able to work or get around the um, the security issues on his machine. But this is one I'm that as soon as the, the news surfaced, he he was sharing within our group um, to add to the show notes, and that is uh, so. So BMW M on Instagram shared a little teaser image. It's a dark image, and but all you could see is four exhaust tips the bmw badge and what looks like a, a fairly you know not just your normal wagon but a fairly pumped out aggressive you know back end shrouded in darkness and um obviously it didn't take very long for people to work out that that's you know that it was a an m3 touring or an m3 station wagon um if you're not familiar with the, the terminology but look it's this is this has been a long time coming, and, and and it sort of it didn't take long, thankfully, for it to be confirmed that we are that a yes, this is real, and b that it's coming to Oz. But the thing is, this is the first time they've ever built um, a production M3 Touring. So back in two thousand two, two thousand three, um, BMW did actually make a prototype E forty six M3 wagon. Um, it actually lives in. Um, the, uh, quite a number of years ago now, but they they took some journalists down into like the the BMW M um, garage, like the hidden prototype garage, and let people sort of look around at all the vehicles that BMW decided to to never make. Um, and in amongst like you know rear wheel drive first generation X5, um, X5M, before they determined that two-wheel drive was not the way to go for for that car um there was a what looked like a very polished very finished um e46 m3 touring and it looked great it set the water light um it inspired a lot of um a lot of m3 wagon conversions so people buying an m3 coupe and and finding a sacrificial um 320i uh touring to turn into it um but yeah this this has been something that people have been asking for for a very long time um and Mercedes have been making uh, an E60, uh, sorry, a C63 um, wagon. Audi obviously have the um, the RS4 um, Avant or the wagon. Um, and, and strangely, you know, it's taken BMW a long time to really you know, add this to the lineup. And yeah, it is. Is this a, a new? Dawn for BMW or BMW M have have BMW M realized that they don't have to follow BMW 
in their traditional models as closely as they had to. And and so we're getting things like, you know, they're, they're bringing a manual transmission to the new M4 and the M3. They're doing the wagon. Like, are they getting that bit of personality that we've kind of been missing and, and what they've been sick of us reminding them of why their older cars were so good? And they've finally taken that, you know, they've taken that advice on board and they're going, oh, look, you've asked for it, here you go. There's nothing more you can complain about. Yeah, I think that's the thing is that, you know, they like uh, they're, they're, I mean, they're a bit all about driving and they're all about their passion for, for vehicles. So, you know, we've seen that now with virtually every model, including the X-Series, having a M version, which is mm. awesome, having driven a couple of them. I think it's one of the coolest things ever. I love fast SUVs, you know, fast wagons are cool, but we're, we're seeing more fast SUVs these days. But, yeah, for BMW to release this M3 and the, the talk has been very 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 popular this week online about it you know different PR people from you know within the brand sharing it as well it, it's pretty cool to to see it but we've only seen a rear shot the big question is is what's it going to look like from the front you know yeah. is it going yeah. to look like the you know what we've seen of other rumors and and what the, the you know the possible current M3 and M4 are going to look like or is it going to be kind of like what we're seeing with the current 3 series mm. and um, and stuff like that so yeah I think that's the big question is um, uh, what's it going to look like well, from I the su- front I suspect that the M3 which is the four door sedan and wagon now um, it's going to have the, the the front end design that a lot of people love um, in, in the current 3 series or you know the newly updated 3 series um, and, and the M4 is going to have that you know that Device, you know, it's sort of it, the controversial front end, um, and I think it's probably going to be a great way for BMW to test the waters with pushing the envelope a little bit further on the front end um, design. You know, where we might not like it now, or some people might not like it now, and others love it, and you know, maybe we'll grow to love it universally as we move forwards. But I think um, for the moment, that wagon. The, the best thing they could do is go for a non-controversial front end and just let the wagon sell itself because yeah. it, it's that's what I think anyway because we see plenty of the other RS4 wagons and the C63 wagons I see them all the time and I wonder if they can steal a little bit of that market oh definitely from from those because you know they ha- this hasn't been an option ever um, you know it took them long enough to do a, a four door M3 in the beginning, you know, for the first three generations, I think they only ever did one officially in Europe or the UK as a four-door E36 M3, Um, but it wasn't really, it wasn't a global model. Um, But yeah, we definitely didn't get a a four-door M3 E46. So yeah, it's, I think a People want this. It's going to sell well. Um, but now we just have to play the, the waiting game. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's not it's not due for a while. So, no. you know, they'll, they'll probably spend some time developing it and hopefully it has the... Get ready uh, for a lot of teasing. Yeah. And it has a prettier front end as well um, mm. than what, you know, it could possibly have and that it has the better front end out of, out of what, what's coming. But, yeah, I think it's exciting. And, um, yeah, I know a few people that will be lining up with their money for a deposit as soon as it's available to do. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, well, Joel, this was something that uh, that came across and, and sort of caught a little bit of attention. Um, was Maserati um, stepping yeah, it up yeah. in terms of the performance 
in in the performance realm. Yeah, so they've been doing Trofeo. Um, the Trofeo is their effectively their sports um, line, more performance line, and they've been doing. Strangely enough, they started with the Levante, which is their SUV, and they had a, a Trofeo Levante, which is an awesome bit of kit for for what it is. And uh, Maserati even ran a, a track event last year to to showcase this model. Um, but it's now been joined by its two other siblings, so the Ghibli and the Quattroporte now. Have have um, Trofeo versions as well, which are effectively the fastest Maserati sedans ever. Um, all of them are running the same 3.8 litre V8 twin turbo um, engine um, with a 433 kilowatt output, which is 580 horsepower for those that like it in HP uh, at 62.50 RPM and a peak torque of 730 newton metres. So um, interesting. And, that, yeah, and those are Ferrari derived. Yeah, V8, that is currently yes for this model, but mm-hmm. I believe moving forward that the next generation will be their own, uh, that they are trying to develop um, their okay. own moving forward. But the interesting thing is I noticed that um, in the specifications that they list that um, for the Trofeo um, in Europe, North America, Korea, China, Japan, and India, it gets 580 kilowatts. Um, but in other markets, which doesn't say which, but I guess it's every other market outside mm. of those continents, 590 kilowatts. Um, but yeah. only in the Trofeo, the, the Ghibli and the Quattroporte both have the same, uh, are unchanged, um, which means that that extra 10 kilowatts gives it um, an extra two seconds quicker, naught to 100. So traditionally in those other markets, it's a 4.1, naught to 100. But in the other markets, it's 3.9, naught <laughs> to 100. So, so I wonder why in the Levante, why that is just an extra 10, kilo, 10 kilowatts? Maybe because yeah. of the extra weight that it's that it's carrying? Um, yeah, who knows? That's very interesting because you'd, you'd think that Europe, North America, Korea, China, Japan and India is a lot of, <laughs> a lot yeah. of the markets anyway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and it's only um, uh, two, kilo, two kilometres an hour faster as well in the other markets. Yeah. But you look at the weights. So we, I just mentioned that, uh, that we talked about maybe it was a weight because of the size. The curb weight of the Levante is 2170 kilograms, mm. where the Quattroporte is 2000 and the uh, Ghibli is 1969. So there's not a massive weight difference. Um, and the wheelbase is actually longer on the Quattroporte because obviously it's, you know, it's a more a luxury sedan. Executive sedan thing, um, yeah. yeah. So I don't know. It's an interesting one. I might have to reach out to, um, mm. to some friends I have at um, Maserati and ask, and ask that question. Um, on why that would be for the markets. There would mm. be, it more than likely, my guess is it's probably got to do something to do with emissions, um, possibly. True. Um, I reckon particularly those markets, particularly Europe and North America, I reckon that those markets have tighter um, emissions targets mm-hmm. um, and hence why it, it's it's different. Um, but for the other markets, you know, they allow it to be that little bit quicker. So, um, but yeah, it's exciting. Um, no mention on price yet. Pricing no. or numbers of what's coming to Australia. This seems to be a more a global um, release more than uh, than what we're seeing um, for locally. But you can guarantee that they they'll be here um, in Australia. That they will get some definitely get some interest because you know Maserati is really moving towards that 
uh, interesting model lineup now. We've had the the hybrid Ghibli, and there's the new um, their new um, their new sports cars coming uh, later on either later this year or early next year. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Which is a little bit overdue. It, we have been waiting for a new Gran Turismo replacement for a, for a while now. Um, but, yeah, it'll yeah. be interesting to see where they go with that. And obviously this is, yeah, this is showing, um, yeah, that they're wanting to push into, you know, Maserati has been a sports car brand, but they're, you know, by going through the Trofeo, they're, they're leaning into it a little bit harder than perhaps, you know, they have been recently, um, at least with the Cross Report A and the, and the Ghibli. Yeah, exactly. But it's good to see that they're doing this, and I mean, you know, their their brand is a is a racing brand. It's, it's their heritage and stuff like that. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's it's cool to see that they're doing this and pushing it into other models. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's exciting to see. So, we look forward to seeing um, pricing and when they uh, when they land here. Yeah. Well, one thing uh, waiting to you know be interesting to see when it lands is the the new sedan for the Hyundai i thirty in N line um, spec. It kind of looks it, it it still fits into the photos that we saw of the American model um, quite a little while ago. Um, it doesn't look like an i thirty. That's the interesting thing. It it, it, it has a different name overseas. Um, but they've rebranded. Obviously, it's branded the i30 to fit in with the rest of the um, the rest of the model lineup that we have here in Australia. Um, but yeah, so this N-line sedan is going to be, um, you know, they're pushing it as a as a spirited driving experience. Um, obviously, it's also that bridge between going all the way through to to the you know the the performance model of the i30N. Um, but it's got a 1.6-litre GDI turbocharged engine with six-speed manual, seven-speed double-clutch transmission um, with 150 kilowatts of power, six, 265 newton metres of torque. And, um, yeah, they, they've done a, a few things around in terms of the, the suspension um, to, to improve gripping, performance, adding alloy Oh, sorry, 18-inch alloy wheels um, and multi-link independent rear suspension, um, as long as well as larger front brakes. So, um, even excluding all of the the bits and bobs that sort of go along with in, in the interior for to match what an N-line vehicle is, um, and as you know, if anybody's familiar with that with that sort of branch of model we've come to expect it anyway but i think that look that's a pretty good sharp little um package that they've put together and so, some will probably love the styling some will probably maybe not be fully in love with it um but i think if you get the right color and and, and alloy wheel choice down i think you you'll have a pretty good looking car on yeah, your hands design- but it's very american looking if uh if 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 that makes sense. Yeah, it does have that sort of feel to it. Um, but it's also, someone also said that uh, my reference to it being a little bit Audi-like as well, those very sharp yeah. lines and stuff. It's got a bit of its family resemblance within Genesis as well um, in that front end. It's got a very sort of Genesis feel as well to it. But, um, yeah, I, I, it's good to see that they're going to run a manual and a, and a DCT as well. Um, mm-hmm. As I said before, I'm very keen to see what the i30 ends like when that lands with a DCT um, but I'm keen to see what 
this is like um, you know as a sedan. But hopefully, we might even see a um, um, you know an an N not an N line, but an N version of this as well at some stage. Yeah, um, which would be cool because you know being that little bit bigger and being a sedan instead of being the hatch. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's a good looking thing. Um, mm. And of so course, this will arrive in the last quarter of this year they're saying for the sedan and the n-line sedan so um yeah not too much longer we'll have to wait for for that to arrive and the other thing is is it'll be a um an aussie tune suspension tune as well mm-hmm. which is great yeah. this, this is great that we have this here in australia with hyundai and both kia both of those uh, run generally some time developing it for our roads which is which means it'll be an absolute ripper little thing to drive mm. and they've also hinted um, at the end of the release that they that they sent out is that they're planning to to add a Sonata in line as well with that same same engine or sorry the uh, a slightly larger one a 2.5 liter turbocharged GDI engine um, so yeah I think they're really going after this performance level um, option within their range I'd love to see it expand to a Veloster N uh, a Kona N um because I think uh, it is, they are doing a good job of making it not just about cosmetics, but also making it about performance as well, which I think some other brands kind of lose um, in their when they when they do a, a sporty model as an option. Yeah, exactly, and we're seeing more of it. You know, Palisades coming later in the year um, mm. as well. So yeah, this, this... I, I almost forget about that, and then I see a photo. I'm like, oh yeah, that's right, that's coming. I can't wait. <laughs> yeah, it's you know, it's I and I have been killing it for the last couple of years, and they just keep reinventing themselves and adding cooler and cooler products into their into their lineup. So um, yeah, it's ex- it's an exciting time, and mm. we look forward to seeing um, what's happening. But at the same time, we've also had that they're going to launch launch off a, another brand as well and they're going to run Ionic yeah. as its own brand ash mm, mm. yeah so we obviously we've, I, I just finished driving uh, the Ionic uh, plug-in hybrid model and um, we all know that yeah they, they have a hybrid plug-in hybrid and a fully electric model but obviously that's not enough um, for Hyundai when it comes to their um, electric vehicles um, so they're actually spinning off kind of like what they did with Genesis um, where they're spinning off that Ionic name as a as its own electric vehicle brand um, as a sub-brand of Hyundai and um, they can, they've, they've actually at the same time confirmed that there have been three um, new models coming um, so one includes I'm just trying to find the uh, the, the proper sort of list that they've got. So the first one is um is they call it the Ionic 5, the Hyundai Ionic 5, which is a mid-sized electric uh, CUV, um, which we saw hints of um, when they revealed the uh, concept EV45. Um, so we expect it to, to launch in early 2021. It's sort of like, I guess, the first official vehicle under that brand outside of, you know, what we've come to know as the Ionic itself. Um, the next one is the Ionic 6. They're getting really, uh, really creative with the names. Um, in 2022, which is a, a sedan um, that kind of looks like in the in the concept that they based it off the the ev prophecy concept vehicle um and it kind of looks a little bit like a 
a mixture of like a, a Tesla and a, or, or like a version of the Tesla and the Taycan together that you'd find in like GTA, you know, when they make like the knockoff cars <laughs> um, in there. But it's a cool concept. Obviously, I think I, I don't think uh, a lot of the, the concept features on the interior are going to make it into the production vehicle, um, such as, you know, no steering wheel, but kind of like joystick style um, controllers. Um, but obviously, uh, look, I'll be very surprised if they, they keep that as well as the, the pillarless sort of uh, opening uh, suicide doors. Um, but then finally in 2024, so this is a planned out thing. It's not going to be rushed in, um, but the final sort of confirmed model so far is the Ionic 7, um, which they haven't really given much information about, but um, is going to be like their large SUV model. Um, but I do but I do wonder, like, will things like the Kona EV um, fit in eventually under the Ionic um, name. Will that be kind of like the uh, the the next level for for the Ionic? You know what they're calling the Ionic too. Five, um, which is kind of like that that similar sized electric vehicle. And also the question is like, what will happen to the Ionic that exists right now? Will they rename it? Um, given that if they've those vehicles, the coming vehicles are called Ionic Five, Six, and Seven, um, is one, two, three you know, the Kona and the Ionic plug-in and the Ionic Electric, I don't know, um, as one, two, three. But, uh, but look, it, I think it it kind of builds upon what we've uh, spoken about previously um, about Hyundai's focus on electric vehicles. And even, you know, I can see how this um, fit into even their hydrogen vehicles because an EV brand doesn't necessarily, like, that's that's an electric car, but they don't specify it has to be battery tech. It can also be hydrogen fuel cell electric vehicles. So I think it gives them room to um, bring new models, try new models, and um, yeah, perhaps we'll see it spin off fully, um, just like the Genesis brand or sort of, you know, is it a way for them just to, to neatly, you know, gather these vehicles? But yeah, I think it just shows that they're doubling down on on what they think is the future you know it seems exciting so far and um i guess we'll just have to to wait and see um more info because i think that's all we'll get for now yeah it's exciting to see them go down that route of wanting to be able to um to sort of focus on that brand and and what they're doing and and put some time Mm. and effort into splitting it off and i think you're right i think the kona will probably eventually end up in that side and anything else um to give it a to give it its own branding and it kind of makes sense you know like BMW have done with their sort of i series stuff so yeah, yeah there's some interesting models that they're um, that they're creating and what we'll see of them and good to see there's some SUVs in there because obviously that's becoming more and more popular and Cadillac Cadillac have just released their you know some upcoming concept SUV electric cars so um, yeah we look forward to see what, what's coming what's coming up mm. for them. Yeah, it's uh, look, it's an exciting time. Obviously, Hyundai's in the right position to do that, um, and you know, it kind of leads in well to the to the final bit of local news, um, which is the information that's kind of uh, surfaced um, over the last couple of weeks. Actually, is is kind of like the 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 cars that were never meant to be under under Holden and um, their Commodore. 
platform um, which they had developed, which was designed to be fairly um, fairly modular and fairly capable to be adapted to a number of different vehicle types. We saw bits of it in earlier models like the Crewman um, and Adventurer and all that kind of thing. Um, but as this sort of document that leaked out that showed um, the 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 architectures that were that were there that you know that led into potential the sedan and the coupe such as the Monaro um, wagons, cab chassis, um, seven seater wagons, and etc. etc. Um, but one of them, the next one, was that there could have been a Commodore SUV um, as well as a couple of other cars that GM decided not to to green light, and even some of them got pretty far along in terms of their development in terms of clay models or even um, production concepts even the uh, the Tirana concept vehicle was based off this same platform that they were building to show that not only did they have to make a, a big Commodore model but they could also build a slightly smaller um, sedan and, and um, I think it was the the cruise and, and, and something else that kind of nixed that that idea from from General Motors in terms of, I guess, pushing other models. Um, but look, I, the question is, is that, you know, this this article on Cars Guide says, you know, could the, you know, the other secret cars that GM could have greenlit but didn't, um, could the plan for territory Toyota Kluger rival have saved the, the Lion brand? And uh, what, what do you think, Joel? I, I'm kind of on, on, on the fence of whether it would have saved the brand or would have, you know, eventually sort of it delayed you know the inevitable of um what could happen following you know given how the state of gm at that point in time i think that's the thing is that we've got to remember that va was was had been around for a while and you know the previous gen um sort of adventure and and crewman and stuff like that you know that didn't do really well but you look at where we are today um and it was this stuff is like ahead of its time they 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 could see the brilliance in it and they can and, and they could see that there was potential in it but they probably i honestly don't know how it would have done and how well it would have been received because at that time it was still probably too early to be on that suv bandwagon like we're seeing now if it was something that they had done from what should have been um you know what became the um uh what became the the zb um then i think if they'd gone down that route instead of having v, you know going from VF to or even not releasing it in VE spec but releasing it when VF was out mm. um, for VF Series 2 or even as a VF Series 3 around that time I think there would have been more potential for it to have then saved GM yeah. because it would have been at yeah. that time where the numbers were dropping probably somewhere along the lines of the sedans and, mm. and the utes were still popular but if you then all of a sudden had this seven seat the high wagon, um, the ute wagon, um, you know, the crew cab, and all of a sudden we had a variety of stuff spinning off VF into what we could have had as our own ZB as opposed to it being, you know, being the, the Opal base. Look, I think it could have done well. Um, you know, I think that, that they talk about what was the project, which was called the, the Nullarbor, which was the SUV, which was the, the, the seven-seat large SUV and um, it could it could have been good I, I think it was the thing is it 
it, this sort of stuff originally was ahead of its time, like I said, but where it would have ended up and what it would have done for the market, it, it's mm. re- hindsight's a wonderful thing to think that, you know, that the, so many of the commentators now talk about it and say that, you know, we should still be making these cars, but they weren't being sold, you know, the, the SUVs and, and stuff in the market or um, everything else that has come in, particularly we've talked about Hyundai and Kia already tonight, what they've done to the market mm. in terms of what they've created, um, you know, I think that's where it kind of needed needed to be. I mean, there, there's some interesting stuff, you know, they talk about obviously the SUV and then obviously the Ute wagon, um, you know, the, the shooting brake, Coupe 60, that thing when that was released was a work of art and was ahead of its time. I was there the day it came out at the Melbourne Motor Show and I still remember it and think it was one of the best concept car releases that not only Holden but anyone ever did. In, it looked production in ready. Oh, it was awesome. Um, you know, the thing itself could be driven but not uh, overly quick because it was it was a show car. Um, yeah. But yeah, that could have, you know, even if, it, if they'd released it around the time uh, of when VE started and then it didn't come out till VF, then so be it. But, it, you know, there was potential in that. But I'm intrigued by this V-based Saab 99. So this yeah. flagship well, I think, sedan. I think this is, this is the, the, the thing that when Holden was developing the Zeta platform, which ended up being... So it ended up being used for even the, the Camaro. Yeah, because um, they were developed here. Yeah. So the thing is, is that... The un- unfortunately, the the Zeta platform was built with with what they call like flex design, so it could be extended, shortened, raised, dropped, whatever. You know, it was capable of of having different elements used and applied to to create these different variants of vehicles. And um, obviously, the advantage of that allowed th- that platform to be used for wide. You know a wide range of um, of different vehicles, and I think it kind of adds insult to, to injury a little bit in terms of the the promise of like even you know ex Opal designer Malcolm Ward sort of talked about um, how he expected to to work for a year or so um, at Holden in Melbourne to help work on you know preliminary exti- you know styling on that Saab 99 that big um, sedan. Model I think four, it was stunning. You know. I love that that sedan. Yeah, and um, I think it, it it just because 2008 happened, um, th- th- a lot of potential got washed away, and was something that was totally out of control of you know from Holden. That a lot of these things that they wanted to do just wasn't able to happen because. General Motors wasn't in the position or they didn't have, I don't know, maybe they didn't have the the awareness to go, hey, look, we've got a profitable brand down in Australia because Holden remained as a profitable brand during that time. I think it was the only profitable sub-brand of General Motors during 2008, 2009, etc. But... Um, you know, they, they failed to take advantage of that platform in, in a way that allowed them to, to build international left and right-hand drive models um, and SUVs and things like that because this is this is what they talked about with um, what was codenamed like the Nullarbor SUV. So it was meant to be a seven-seat SUV that, you know, that spiritual successor didn't come until the Arcadia, um, which we got in, you know, 2018. And... Um, you know, we, we could have had a, a, a car, I think it was what, between like 2010 in terms of based off this SUV. Oh. Um, you know, I think it, it's just 
it, it was just missed opportunities and, and um, lack of foresight and lack of, or even lack of understanding of, of what they had available to them. And it wasn't really until, you know, the insult was that they were building the Camaro on that Zeta platform. And, um, you know, A, it meant that we didn't get a... a uh, right-hand drive Camaro here, even now, and B, surely I, I think in, in in my mind anyway that you know they said there was a lot of boundaries and a lot of um, you know uh, things stopping uh, Holden or General Motors from building the the Coupe 60 Monaro um, in that VE platform because of the cost that it would do to to do a, a frameless door. Um, on on that, but then, you know, not too long after that, they they put the the Camaro on the Zeta platform and you go, oh well, how about you build the Monaro now? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so they definitely and, and just rebody it or, or something, you know, um, and to to satisfy those people, particularly, I think a lot of people expected in the VF, as they knew that that was going to be the last one, it was like that they, you know, surely they were going to build a, a a true Sandman, not just a sticker pack, yeah, um, and a Monaro to be like, oh look, you know, screw it, we're going to go out with a bang and and. Mm give something that people really want and have been asking for. Yeah, but look, the, you know, the potential that was there for so yeah. much to, to spin so off it, you know, off that platform and then, you know, as I said, even if it didn't happen in, v, in VE but it happened for for VF, yeah. you know, it, it, VF would have been closer to that time where it have been, would have been more interesting and, and you know, what it, what, what it could have done. Could it have changed the export market? You know, could we have sold more to to the US um, yep. and stuff like that you know the Americans or even love what, what stopped if it was a cost of labour thing um, you know nothing could have stopped hot, uh, GM in the US from using the Zeta platform to build cars for here um, you know even if you look at, it, at that just sure losing the local manufacturing but even keeping you know the, that Zeta platform going because obviously I, th- I think it's still used to some degree today for some things. Um, like, obviously, it proved it was kind of like exactly what, um, to a lesser degree in terms of modularity, but similar along the lines of what Volkswagen have been really pushing on to for a long time. Like, even their Golf platform is an extremely modular platform. So, if you want it tall, shorter, longer, wider, etc., um, it's kind of like just plug and play. And then, bam, you've got a, a new model. But, um, but yeah, look, I think there's going to be stuff like this come out all the time now as people exit the brand or as long, you know, enough time passes that, you know, of all the things that we could have got or what we didn't get. Um, and, yeah, it is just going to have to be, you know, it was a a victim of you know the time it was just bad timing really the 2008 2000 to 2010 really seemed to be um the the nail in the coffin and it was just the eventual you know it turned out that it was more of a matter of when uh holden was going to stop being holden um and yeah because it's sort of you know when you look at it back back at it now you know ah oh, well that was really that was it for the brand because there was nothing else. Um, yeah, once that sort of went away, and the and the models that we got, you know, in the VZ and the VY and that kind of thing, once we weren't getting those, you'd have to know that uh, something something wasn't right. Uh, but, uh, exactly, which is sort of sad to to think what could what could have been and what it would have possibly done to to our market. Certainly is. 
But look, let's let's have a bit of fun before we touch on a couple of uh, international news. Um, we're going to jump on Bring a Trailer again. We didn't get to do it last week, but um, but look, I, I've stumbled across something that I don't know. Yeah, I didn't have um, nothing really jumped out and caught my eye this week um, for some reason. I've got like, five. I, I've, I've done a Porsche. I've done a you know done a fire truck, <laughs> done that kind of thing. And I wanted to find something a little bit more interesting and perhaps more classic. And um, I think I've stumbled across it. I think it's going to fetch a pretty penny. Like it's got six days to go. It's one hundred and thirty-three thousand dollars already. Um, but I wonder if if you can guess what it is when I say <laughs> it, it it's red. <laughs> What, what brand do you think that is? Well, it has to be Ferrari. Yes, yeah. So it's a, it's a... Let me pull up the mileage here. It's a, It's got 64,000 kilometres or 40,000 miles. Um, it's one of 455 series, two examples. And it's a 1967 Ferrari 330 GT 2 plus 2. Oh, I think I saw that. I think... Uh, no, that was the Mondial that I saw. Yeah, let me, uh, I'll drop you the link so you can have a look. There you go. But look, I think it's just, obviously this has been a car that has been driven and enjoyed. Like, even though it's a 67 Ferrari, it, you know. Ah, uh, yes. It, 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 it's been enjoyed, it's been driven, and mm. I think that sort of adds to the charm of it, and you won't feel guilty driving it. And it's red for that era. Like, a lot of those in that era were probably different colours, silvers and stuff like that, yeah. you know. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's very nice, really nice in that red, and it's that really traditional Ferrari red. It looks in immaculate condition. Yeah, um, it yeah, really a, does. For the kilometres on it, it looks great yeah. in the age. Yeah, 133. Money well spent, I think, for anything of that era. Ferrari, mm. no matter what it goes for, I think, at the end of the day. Yeah, no, it's... Uh... <laughs> it looks good. But uh, but what did you... Uh, what did so you I flicked through, as I said to you to start with, I hadn't hadn't looked tonight, so I generally like to leave it till just before the show because in mm. case anything finishes and stuff that's still live. So yeah. I flicked through and was a bit slow in finding stuff. So, I, you know, you do the usual right-click, open a couple of windows uh, and find some stuff. But then, yeah, there was, a, there was a clear winner. And I'm, again, disappointed that Mick's not here tonight, just even to talk about the last stuff we talked about with the, with the, the Holden <laughs> history. But this thing yeah. is right up his alley. It's a... 2012 Cadillac CTS-V wagon six-speed manual. This is one oh, of my nice. dream cars, the, these things. Um, yeah, when Cadillac did the CTS around this era, they did three body levels. They did a sedan, they did the coupe, and then they did the wagon. And, and wagons now for this era in the US are really popular. They're, they're, they're stunning um, things to look at. They're really well-packaged, really powerful. You know, mm. 556 horsepower, 500 foot-pounds of torque, um, rear-wheel drive. This thing's been looked after. It's in really good nick. Um, there's a couple of YouTube videos, which I haven't actually watched as yet, but, um, yeah, there's some uh, some videos which I'll have to check out. But this thing is just absolutely brilliant. Um, for me, it's a, it's a, it's an, a, a hands down, it's an, it's an easy win for this sort of thing. Um, it's currently sitting at... 36 grand it's got three days left um 
I'll report back next week what it ends up selling for. But yeah, for me, that would be money well spent no matter which way you look at it. Um, a couple of honourable mentions this week. There's a 5,000 mile 2006 Ford GT Heritage Edition. Um, oh, I did see that, yeah. Barely, barely been driven. The Heritage Edition is nice. I have driven a, a Ford GT, be it only around a, a car park very briefly. Um, this thing was not easy to drive because it had a set, it been set up with the um, seat rail push right back for taller people mm. and I'm not overly tall so I struggled to reach the pedals in it but yeah to say that I've actually driven one of these is pretty awesome so that thing's nice it's got current bids $305,000 wow. um, so yeah not a not a cheap thing but yeah. it's, it's low-key it means it hasn't been driven it's a, it's a garage car so you want something that's been driven and used um, another honourable mention was the 79 Chevrolet K30 Cheyenne which I'm probably butchering four speed ute this thing's beautiful it's that brown and cream two tone um it lives in Michigan, um, so looks like it's had a bit of work to obviously deal with not having to be around in the snow. Three days left at fifteen grand. Um, really, really nice. Um, what else did I find? Uh, there were two others. Oh yes, eight thousand mile. Again, a low mile car, so it's more a yeah. garage car or a show car. You're not really going to be driven. Ford Mustang SVT Cobra. Um, Got six days left to thirty grand. My estimate, I reckon, for this it'll go big. It'll probably go forty-five to fifty, probably more, um, because it is in such immaculate condition. And Fox bodies are going through the roof on their values at the moment. Um, and then the last one, again, that eclectic thing, which we always like to say, we like to find something different. Mm-hmm. This would be something I would uh, beg, borrow, and steal to buy if it was in Australia. It's an eighty-five. Audi 90 Quattro so that uh, generation Audi the same thing that we saw in um, The Living Daylights the James Bond film Um, Mm -hmm. James Bond drove one of those around that era Uh, this thing's pretty cool $3,850 with five days to go Um, feels like a steal I'm sure it's going to go absolute steal. it doesn't uh, look the interior is immaculate Um, the thing looks absolutely amazing there's some videos on that I need to watch those as well but yeah I'm intrigued to see what this goes for um, stunning bit of uh, of Audi history but in that era so hmm. yeah very very cool yeah and I did see there was um as well where was it I'm just trying to find the link again uh, it ran away from me. Ah, oh, yeah, similar in the in a in the similar type of uh, realm. They had a 1974 BMW 2002 oh, yeah, Turbo that. That five nice. speed. It's got two days to go, and it's already at $115,000. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's got and that's got 74,000 kilometers on it. So it's definitely been uh, been around a block. Uh, a few times and uh, still again very very clean not concourse condition um, but very very well looked after and um, tidied up and uh, yeah it looks great but yeah big money for a for a small car yeah exactly (laughs) but look let's um it'd be interesting to see where they go um in terms of price but in terms of price for for this one i don't think it's uh i'm gonna say i don't think it's gonna be cheap um (laughs) and it's an american startup they uh, build um they're they're an energy company they build parts for um for nasa 
and um, but they've decided to to dip their toes into building a hypercar, but not just any hypercar, a hydrogen electric car um, that is they they're claiming at the moment a thousand miles of range and a zero to sixty time of uh, less than two point two seconds. Um, it looks pretty crazy in terms of its design, but I think it sort of builds upon this story that we've been talking about where we're seeing more articles and we're seeing more information about hydrogen rather than using batteries um, as, a, as an ed- energy source. And, um, you know, they're, they're going to build 300, 300 of these. And um, I think uh, even though it's not going to be a, a mass production vehicle, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, we're going to be seeing it on levels of Toyota or anything like that. But it's it's yet again another vehicle, another brand that's bringing the focus onto hydrogen um, as a as an energy source and as a you know as an alternative means to using you know things like lithium uh, lithium batteries. Yeah, so it's, it looks uh, insane. It's it's interesting. Like as you, we were talking before the show started, the hydrogen thing is you know we've been talking about it on and off for a while on different models and stuff, and and obviously particularly it's strong in Australia with both Hyundai and, and Toyota. Um, but it's great to see that you know well, one that's an American startup. You know Americans are probably one of the, another one of the countries that like the idea of hydrogen and what it can do, mm. and and to the for the the range on this thing like a thousand miles and 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 it be a performance car. Um, yeah, it's it's cool. I think the hydrogen thing is a, is a great power choice. I think the the hardest thing is going to be the infrastructure, really, with yeah. this set of stuff. Um, and they are saying that they're going to be building their own fueling stations to address that. Obviously, being an energy company, it makes sense. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, they they in California they have a fairly deep, like it's not anywhere near like even um, a supercharger network from Tesla. But, um, you know, there are, you know, it's not like here in Australia where I think there's there's one in ACT. We've got one coming in um, in, in Brisbane. Um, it should be sometime this year. But, um, but, you know, they have a lot more of a choice, particularly in California. But, yeah, it's... Um, I, I guess it's that's, that's part of the thing. And, and this is the difference with... Um, hydrogen is that there's commercial motive to do it and if this company is already going to be working with hydrogen, distributing hydrogen well it makes sense that they put refueling stations probably where you know they're storing it anyway I assume mm. um, so yeah it's a it's it's yet another notch um, and even in that Top Gear link um, there's also a link towards you know sort of what what BMW are working on with their hydrogen X5 that's going to produce you know 368 horsepower um, which they're expecting to debut in 2022 so it's it's slowly building speed it's slowly building momentum that perhaps maybe trying to find a supercharger somewhere or, or fast charger to, to charge your car for an hour um, might you know it sort of could be in, could be a threat and uh, we might be seeing petrol stations with hydrogen stations before um, before we know it yeah exactly and I think particularly in California which is probably the right place to really sort of promote this because that is kind of the, the supercar capital of, of the US mm. really in terms of some of the car collections that are in that area um, you can guarantee at some stage Jay Leno will get his hands on one of these and, and get to drive yeah. it so it'd be cool to see his thoughts on it um, but yeah I think it's one of those things that is growing and there's more and more people talking about it it's nice to see people looking at it from a supercar point of view Um but yeah, it's uh, let's watch this space. Yeah. 
and um, <laughs> watch the space. Talk about heading for the open wide, open open spaces. Um, Jeep is certainly uh, they're not immune to building a wide range of models for their for their Wranglers, particularly in the US. They even have um, once a year they they love to get the design team and let them loose and build a, a bunch of um, concept models. But look, if uh, if you're really wanting to head out into the middle of nowhere and um, a Defender or even a Land Cruiser isn't isn't your choice, um, or even a Bronco, they uh, the Jeep far out is um is the off-grid vehicle for you um basically it looks like they've taken the um the jeep gladiator whacked a, a hard cover on the back and um added some features all around and i don't know it looks kind of cool what do you yeah, think yeah it's awesome in terms yeah. of when this came across the through the socials this week it was exciting to see it. it's something a little bit di- different um it's definitely you know the, the design of what it is with just you know it's got a hard cover over the the rear tray it looks like it's got a rooftop tent um yeah, yeah it's it's pretty cool <laughs> it's called the far out which i love because you just look at it and go far out that's cool mm, mm. um and it's a circle so it is so apparently, um, it's a it's a sequel to um, the way out, which they did the year before, um, which kind of takes that Outlander. So that it, it's kind of like an evolution where the the out the, the uh, what I call it the way out last year had like an open top at the back in the fold out tent. Um, this year they've enclosed it and and extended a little bit further. Um, but yeah, I, I love it. I, I think it's. I think it looks great. Yeah, and, it's um, it's awesome. I just... it, it is just a concept, but you know, I think it, it. It it this does mainly look like all just kind of aftermarket things that you could either source or, or ask someone to make. Um, if you're really wanting to sort of go down that path and build something like this, but I like it. I like it a lot. Yeah, it's got a bit of um, iconic, classic sort of feel to it as well with the yeah. the color and some of the trim design and things like that. Mm. So. Um, yeah, it's it's pretty cool um, for what it is and and what it what it's been set up to do and that just getting out there and it looks really tough as well. Yeah, so the root yeah, so it's got a rooftop temp that you unlatch and it folds out. Um, yeah, so I think so. What they call it, I, I managed to find it. They call it. Um, the the that design thing where the designers go and build what they want as you know sort of crazy concepts they call it the annual easter safari um and they cancelled it this year but obviously those concepts were made so what they're doing is actually so this this far out is kind of like the trickle so they're going to be showing off a few of these concepts over over a period of time to show what we could have actually seen in person because what they normally do it isn't just a like a a they build it in Photoshop and do it. They actually build these concept vehicles, um, as crazy as they are. And um, yeah, I th- I think um, like the the Top Gear article is saying, would uh, would love to drive it. And I think oh, I'd e- I think it'd do quite well here even. Um, if you you know even take it up and down the coast, I think it'd be great. Pull up alongside the beach, um, you know, a bit of camping, be great. Yeah, it's one of those things I look forward to every Easter, whatever they're going to release for the the annual Easter Safari Jeep. They're always there's always at yeah. least three or four different concepts they create. So it's nice to see that they did still go ahead with them. And we are starting to see them trickle out um, mm-hmm. online. Yeah. 
Look, uh, let's let's touch on some motorsport. So obviously the big one um, for me anyway um, is the Formula One. The the off grid action continues. Um, so race, but but in terms of on track performance, so Racing Point they they're really finding their stride in terms of qualifying. Um, they're still missing in terms of their race pace, but uh, Sergio Perez is back this week and um, was setting the the timing boards alight. Was actually you know until. Q2 and Q3 where Mercedes really turn it up and really show their true pace. Um, Perez was splitting the uh, the Mercedes at one point. Um, but yeah, so I think uh, Perez ended up qualifying fourth um, behind Verstappen and obviously the the, uh, the two Mercedes. But um, in, in, in I guess uh, this week, Vettel has been uh, he finally got a new a new chassis. They uh, and Ferrari decided to to switch it out and and put him in a new one. And in timings at the start looked a bit more more promising. He was I think within about 0.3 of a second of his teammate Charles Leclerc. But um, but yeah, managed to to just miss out on uh, qualifying for Q uh, Q three by I think it was 0.002 of a second um, behind Lando Norris. So yeah, it's um advantage he gets he gets uh, the choice of um of tire compound to start the race uh, at the, the Spanish Grand Prix. But unfortunately, it's uh. You know, he 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 was remaining silent yet again on um, on the radio on the way back. Obviously, yeah, I think uh, I think somebody else pointed out. Look, it's um, if you don't, his his mom or grandma obviously taught him well that if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. <laughs> I think the science is saying it all, um, and I think uh, yeah, there's a lot of people really feeling for what has you know sort of happened. Um, to him and obviously Ferrari as well and, and how it's all gone down um, but one positive thing that I've really been enjoying um, when watching the the free practice sessions um, which not everybody really tunes in for usually it can be a little bit boring but um, the last couple of weeks and particularly this weekend um, Nico Rosberg the 2016 um, world champion who drove for Mercedes uh, with Lewis Hamilton he's been sitting in in the commentary box and I never realized that I was really missing out on true technical insight what's happening from somebody who's been obviously um, been out of the car for a few years now but is still very much in tune with what goes through and what happens um, for the drivers for the car and for the teams on even particularly free practice sessions and um and so everybody's been really loving that insight because even um when we've been seeing uh drivers coming in on the uh in laps out laps managing tires his insight is just perfect and it's just whether he's talking about oh he locked up a little bit there or he's um somebody spun there and he goes oh look that would have been because the brake bias was a little bit too far this way and and what that means is that that over here the tires caused the spin because he got onto the power too soon yada 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 it's just been so good to it's not just speculation it's not just about like um, you know, as much as I, I appreciate some of the commentators, it's just it's so refreshing to get someone who really intrinsically knows what's going on in those cars, um, because you know they'll they're racing at the best team um, and end up winning a championship not too long ago. 
Yeah, it's good to have him back this weekend. There's a bit of a shuffle on. We're missing Ted Kravitz at the moment, which is a shame yeah. because Ted, I really, really like Ted's insights and his yes. sort of little bit of humour that he brings to the coverage. And Simon, the lead commentator, is also off this week. So um, it's got a bit of a weird feel to it. I watched it for qualifying last night. But, um, yeah, it's it's interesting. It's good to see Perez back. It, it's a shame that Holt couldn't get that podium that he was missing. Um, I kind of think that... Um, um, Vettel will probably end up at um, Aston Martin slash Racing Point next year. I think it's the yeah. current sort of thinking and talking. Um, yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see. There's also talk that maybe um, Hulk will get a drive next year, but there's not many good seats left, so it'll probably be no. at the bottom end of the um, bottom end of well, the grid. The question is around you know whether uh, either Giovinazzi or even um, if Raikkonen decides to to retire. Um, but yeah, there's there's a lot of there's a lot. Even though we've had a lot happen um, in driver shuffling, or even um, there's even talk around uh, some of the things that Toto has been saying in interviews, where people are going, oh look, well with his stake in in Aston Martin, could he be you know could he be chasing a new challenge with new regulations and be you know moving to somewhere like Aston Martin? Uh, it's you know just the thing that even though sometimes the races aren't the most interesting, or you know it's it's the drama on the first lap and on the last few laps that really um, you know makes a race and the rest of it's a bit of a, a snooze fest sometimes it's, it is really that off track drama that um well it's called silly that, season for a reason so that's right yeah and I think but uh, but I think the whole season is um, is is uh, silly season because it's just it's it is so short it is so condensed um, you know yeah it's it, it's going to be it, it, it makes me excited a lot more than I think I have been in the last couple of years um, because even with uh, with the Mercedes dominance, um, we're still getting just just exciting bits and pieces here and there. And, and obviously, uh, you know, Lewis Hamilton still hasn't signed his contract. We all expect him to sign the contract, but he still hasn't yet. Um, yeah, so... But the question will be this weekend or tonight, as we're recording, is it Sunday night, will be tyres. Um, it's going to be yes. really hot in Spain. Um, will, you know, will tyre degrad- um, degradation of what we've seen with Mercedes happen again this weekend? Um, it's going to be hotter than it's been the last two weekends in Britain, mm. you know, will we see issues? I mean, the Mercedes is just eating tyres at the moment yeah. um, and really running through them. But, you know, with their pace, they can effectively, if they build enough of a gap. But this circuit is a little bit tighter. We saw that in qualifying. The, the times are tighter. And it, is, and it is a lot hotter than they normally race. Like yeah, even they're not they even do... testing this heat time yeah. of year either. Um, so yeah, they they usually do winter testing there, so it's a lot colder. Um, and even when they normally race at uh, in Spain um, during the season, it is not as hot. It's not as late into the year for it. So look, I welcome it. They are using the hardest compounds. Um, Pirelli have come out and increased the the tire pressures a little bit. Um, so hopefully that throws um, another. You know, element into it because they did that. I think that was on Pirelli changed uh, and the FIA and FOM changed it. I think it was on the Friday night or the, the Thursday night. They actually updated the tire pressures. So again, particularly when there's so much discussion around, well, do we really need three days? Do they really need three practice sessions? Um, because obviously, uh, I think it is it is it Mc- Imola or Miguelo where they're only getting 
um, it's a two-day two format. Day yeah. Um, and, and so going, look, given that tyres are, are such a, a big thing about it, you know, um, even even last week, three practice sessions is a lot of, you know, when each one is an hour and a half or an hour, that is a lot of time to learn about those tyres. And so it's like, well, if you take that element away, um, can it possibly create a more exciting race because these teams don't know everything about the tyre? Um, so they're, they're going in a little bit blind and they're going in with less information and, and it forces their strategists to work that little bit harder, forces the teams to, to make decisions um, with not all of the information available to them. And it also forces the drivers to, um, kind of like what we saw with Max last week, take opportunities and, and put pressure on other drivers where otherwise they might go, look, hang back, we need to manage the tires we need to do this and that um and you know because that turned out to be an exciting race because who would have thought that red bull would be taking a fight so so head-on um with uh with mercedes and and dominating them on pace because they just gambled it correctly um so yeah, I think we're slowly getting in there, and I think if um, if Pirelli and, and you know the, the F1 management and, and the FIA kind of take some things as learnings from the season, of, you know, as to what makes races exciting, um, I think uh, perhaps potentially we sh- we could have an even more exciting uh, 2021 season, even as the regulations don't change. Um, you know, in at the beginning, everyone feared that oh, we're just going to get a fairly boring season um, because obviously, you know, there's not much changes going on. But hopefully, this means that you know maybe uh, because one thing that they've also done is taken away the toy the tire allocation choice away. So rather than allowing teams three weeks in advance to choose how many softs, mediums, and hards they want, they're going look. We're only giving you two hards, two mediums, and you know a whole bunch of soft tires. So you know, good luck for the weekend, and it forces you to to be you know it changes those strategies strategies around so yeah it's exciting um as as much as it could be with uh you know heading towards the end of a regulation cycle um but yeah bring it on i'm looking forward to the race and and uh, it's going to be another weird week with no race in the gap um but i'm sure the teams and the drivers really need it yeah it's going to be interesting you know we're going to have you know, having back to back again which is exciting and this is this month is our you know normally it's the exciting month of may that's exciting we go from you know monaco into indy 500 well unfortunately monaco was cancelled and it won't yeah. get a run but indy they managed to postpone and the indy 500 is next weekend so next weekend we're going to have um you know supercars and and um and indy um so it's going to be you know exciting exciting times in terms of stuff that, that's happening but yeah, the the 500 is happening. Um, qualifying was being held over the weekend. Um, it's mm. weird. I got up early this morning to watch qualifying um, and to see what was to watch it with empty grandstands was just 
bizarre um really 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 weird to to see it um but yeah the most of the guys it's weird to see a qualifying that runs for a couple of hours um the session was quite long a lot of guys had run earlier in the day when it was cooler um it's not obviously obviously very cool there at the moment but a lot of guys went out early to try and get some decent times in um it's weird watching 500 qualifying because they run it off speed um it's you know what's your average the max speed that you can get or the average speed that you can get over four laps mm-hmm. um, and we're talking mile an hour and you know the record qualifying um, well the fastest time was 231.351 mile an hour by Marco Andretti so um, you know this year is interesting that uh, every car that is was running in qualifying is already qualified so it didn't matter where you finished in that qualifying session you were fully qualified so they run the um, the 36 um uh, the 36 cars that, that run all knew that they were yeah. going to be going to be in there so it, it's interesting to to watch um you know there was some big names in the in the the lower end elio castroneves australia's own will power um takuma sato uh sorry takuma is actually a bit quicker my bad wrong one um but yeah there was some big names that were that that aren't up that pointy end of the field. So mm-hmm. um, it's great to see uh, James Hinscliffe up there. You know, James has had the highest of highs and lowest of lows. He was almost killed in an accident in practice a couple of years ago, and then he qualified um, on the front row a couple of years later, uh, and then he didn't. He failed to qualify two years ago. So James is currently in, uh, in that top nine bubble, um, which will shoot out tomorrow morning um, our time, um, but sort of Sunday afternoon US time. So the top nine will actually have a shootout to to, to finalise where they will sit um, on the grid for next weekend's race. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where they sort of fall in terms of, you know, Takuma Sato's in there. He's one of those guys that is a dark horse and is always good to watch. Um, Scott Dixon is there, the honorary Aussie, but, you know, really a Kiwi, uh, one of the most successful men in IndyCar. Um, so, yeah, it's weird watching uh, Indianapolis, which is probably the biggest one-day sporting event in America, running in an empty, fully empty stadium it is just bizarre to see it um and the sound on race day is going to be really weird because we just won't have that crowd noise but i'm excited to see it i'm glad that indy have managed to make this happen as well as um you know the indycar and, and the the track and a series and, and everyone's come together to make this work yeah. um they're all wearing masks they're all social distancing they're all very serious about making this work really really well and and to keep everyone safe um there's even a first-time rookie, Rinus Vakay, uh, who's from the Netherlands, is in there as well in the in the top top nine. So he will go into that shootout tomorrow. So it's interesting. Alonso is um, Ferdinand is is further down. He had a crash during the week that um, uh, that you know may have dented his pride a little bit. Um, look, he's. He's gonna gonna start. He didn't he didn't start. He didn't qualify last event. Um, he had that fantastic run a couple of years ago where he almost won it, but the car broke down. So uh, look, let's hope that maybe he does well. And if he can could win it next weekend, that would um, take out the triple crown. You know, the yeah. first time. Well, given given that he won't, he'll be have, needing to take a couple of years off at least um, because it was part of the the Renault uh, deal um, that he can't just uh, up and leave. To 
to to challenge for indies. So unlike uh, what McLaren allowed him to do, yeah, he won't be. Uh, he'll be focusing purely on F1 for the next couple of years at least. Um, so he'll either need to do it now or be happy to to wait a few more years to try and get that that triple crown. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, we can only hope that, you know, he could take it out. That would be awesome to see, but it'll be a great race. Uh, it'll be another <laughs> early start um, for us Aussies that want to watch it um, with it being on. Um, but, yeah, it won't be as bad a night. Normally it's Monaco into Indy, so it'll just be up, up early to watch Indy. So <laughs> that won't be mm-hmm. as bad as it has in past years. But Supercars, uh, our, our other form of motorsport that we've been watching, um, the 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 and bet easy Darwin Triple Crown was on on the weekend three races three great races Saturday's races I think were actually better there was more action a few cars actually taking each other out which never good to see but the guys in the teams all got them all fixed but some interesting tyre strategy um a couple of guys decided to run softs where everyone else ran hard and they ran well through the field. Um, great result for Scott Pye getting his first podium um, in a while. Um, and uh, we also saw... Um, Anton Di Pasquale get his first win. James Courtney also got his first podium for a while. Um, so that was really cool to see. Those three guys will finish on the podium with everyone else, you know, not on there. Both mm. um, the sort of two series leaders both got pe- penalties and were pushed further down the field. Um, but then today was kind of a return to normality with both Wing Cup and, and McLaughlin taking a win apiece uh, in... Um, in the in the races today again a little bit of tyre strategy but yesterday's tyre strategy was very interesting um, Chris Pither finished fifth uh, yesterday by taking a smart move and going for the soft tyre um, but yeah this is an unheard of thing at the moment because we're going into four races back to back so they moved the Darwin round back, back a week um, and ended up moving both rounds back a week um, as a result of um, the issues with border control and stuff like that, trucks mm. being delayed getting into uh, Darwin because of the Northern Territory's strict border controls, um, which is great because at the end of the day, we've now got um, this weekend we've just had, we go to Darwin we had, they stay in Darwin for a week um, so they're in their own sort of bubble for a week um, in, in being there and then they race again for the Darwin Super Sprint next weekend and then from there they head back across the border into Queensland to do two events in town back to back which is really cool to see um, so we'll get you know the NTI Townsville Super Sprint and then the Townsville Super Sprint two weeks apart uh, a week apart so that that's great we, we've never had four back to back rounds of racing I don't think ever in, in supercars that I can remember um, no, so that's me neither. that's pretty cool the drivers are really super keen to to, to for it all um, but from there we were supposed to go to Sandown but I don't think that's going to happen um so what will happen to the teams between, you know, where they'll go and hide for effectively a month because they will probably, a lot of the Victorian teams won't want to come back to Victoria because they may not be allowed back in for, for Bathurst, which is October 8 to 11. And the talk is at the moment that could be our last round, but we don't know. It's an ever-evolving thing at the moment in terms of what they're doing. Um 
and what they're watching for and, and whatever else. So um, we'll see what happens after Townsville um, and, and what happens. So hopefully we'll get Bathurst in and then who knows what will happen from there. But, yeah, there's been a, it's been a busy busy weekend of motorsport. Um, looking forward to F1 tonight. Yeah, look, it's... Um Again, it's an exciting time uh, for motorsport, and certainly, um, yeah, as as we keep saying, the the different challenges for the the teams, particularly supercars teams, and managing. Um, certainly, it's it's a huge financial burden on them as well. Um, oh, they've been on road on the road for weeks now, and it yeah. it's hard for the guys, and it's hard for them being away from families and whatever else as well. So, yeah, look, so look, it's. And at the end of the day, it is all for us and in, in our enjoyment. So it's um, yeah, we do we do appreciate it because it's um, yeah it keeps uh, particularly uh, for you guys down in Victoria, um, it's something to something to look forward to. Yeah, it's great, and having it on TV, and it was on Channel 10 as well, so it was on um, free-to-air as well, so that's great for a lot of people that may not have access to, to Foxtel or Cato. Um, so, yeah, it's okay, sorry. It's good It's good to see, and, um, yeah, and we're going to have four weeks of it, so the last race will, you know, it'll all happen whilst we're in this lockdown, so uh, it's uh, it's good for, for the fans. Mm. Yeah, well, look, it's... Uh... Had a bit of news, and I'm um, sure we'll uh, have some uh, some further things to talk about. Hopefully, uh, Mick gets his uh, his uh, issues sorted out uh, for us next week because we'd love to uh, chat about, I guess, uh, some more GMs. I'm sure GM things, as I'm sure it will come out, um, and uh, obviously, yeah, see where the rest of the motorsport news takes us. But uh, look, uh, anything anything else on your radar for this week, uh, for the week ahead, Joel? No, not really. I'm keen to see what happens with qualifying tomorrow morning uh, at the Indy 500 and who is on the front row um, before mm-hmm. next weekend's next weekend's race. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, what happens with Newsash? You know, there's lots been happening the last couple of weeks. We've been pretty yeah. full on with stuff, so I'm mm-hmm. intrigued to see um, what's you know what's going to be next. Yeah, for sure. Well, I'm um, I'm jumping in the in the new uh, Nissan Duke as well. So this is oh, nice. going to be the ST Plus. Um, so it's not the top end model that will come a couple of weeks later. Um, but yeah, so looking forward to that as well. So uh, yeah, I've got plenty plenty to look forward to. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, we'll uh, have plenty more to talk about next week. Yeah, exactly. Enjoy the uh, enjoy the Duke. Yeah, I will. But look, if uh, for you listening, uh, thank you. We've also had a lot of new uh, listeners over the last couple of weeks, so thank you for for joining us. If you've made it this far, um, and uh, look, if you do have any questions, you can always send us an email: shows at dailyautofix.com. Whether it's you want us to review a particular car, speak to a particular person, ask anything about a particular news or, or motorsport, um, we will do our best to to answer those for you. Um, but until then, um, keep up with uh, with Joel at, at Joel Strick Photo, and um, you keep up with what I'm doing on Daily Auto at Daily Auto Fix. But until then, um, we'll see you next week. And don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. That's it. All right, we'll see you next time. Bye for now.